So what we're going to do this morning, I'm going to just bring a brief introduction to, to, to what we're doing, okay? And then I will just be sharing God's word with you. Are you, are you comfortable with that? Yeah? Okay. So um, let's kick on. So who here has not heard of Mission Aviation Fellowship? A couple of hands. Okay, that's fine, because I hadn't heard of it either before I joined it. So you're in the same boat as I was a few years ago. Right, so, whoops. Let's ditch that. <laughs> so at the end of the Second World War, that's a long time ago, um, a group of young pilots got together and thought, how can we use aircraft for missions? Can we use aircraft? I mean, remember, this was now a revolutionary idea for these guys. I mean, this had never been done before. So they said, let's see if we can use aircraft in missions. And they approached various people and talked about it and prayed about it. And our very first flight took place in late 1940s. Uh, a lady called Betty Green was our first pilot, and she flew the first MAF mission flight back in the late 1940s. Today, it's grown into an organization where approximately five or six minutes, air 24-7, one of our aircraft take off or land somewhere in the world. Not bad for a vision of a bunch of young World War II combat pilots going, let's try something revolutionary, hey? And um, MAF exists to support the work of missions, facilitate the work of missions, and enable missionaries to be more effective in the work they're doing. And there are many mission organizations around the world who have told us if it wasn't for you guys, we could not be here and do the work that we are doing. It's a powerful impact that God has given this vision to this group of young guys, and this is what MAF does. So, before we go any further, first to say, Pinus Baptist, thank you so much for supporting us, walking alongside of us, being with us all these years. Um, I know I was a little lighty in this church here many, many years ago, somewhere in the last millennium. And when we went into full-time ministry, I married my wife. We went into full-time ministry, and you guys have walked alongside of us all those years. And we just really appreciate that. Uh, and if you want to keep up to date with us, get our newsletters, just talk to Lorraine, and we'll be able to put you up in a, a mailing list, and you keep, keep in contact with us. Um, so back in 2000, when I, 2020, sorry, when I last stood here, we were going to be going to Uganda, right? And then this funny Chinese flu that everybody was talking about became a reality and COVID hit us and people lost their lives and families were broken up, people lost their work. And we had to mark time until the end of 2020. And when we finally moved to Uganda in 2021, those who get our newsletters will know Lorraine was really, really ill. She had this funny virus that knocked her out. She was completely weak. In where we'd been staying uh, in Cape St. Francis at a friend's house, we'd walk five to eight Ks eh, two, three, four times a week. When she finally got ill from this virus in Kampala, getting just from the entrance of the church to a seat in the front would have been a huge mission for her. She was really ill. And we were not too sure whether we should even be there, what we should be doing. But by God's grace and God's grace alone and the prayers of many, many people, uh, Lorraine recovered fully to where she is today. So those were dark days and those were tough days. But as she got better, she got involved with various ministries in MAF. And MAF Uganda is a very, very busy program. We have lots of people coming and going, lots of families coming and going as they come for training because there's a big training base, and that's what I was involved in as an instructor pilot. And so she and the team of ladies would prepare accommodation for the family or the people, making sure when they arrived that they had um, bedding, they had food, they had clo I mean, clothing, they bought their own clothing, bedding, food, curtains, the whole trip. And people could literally arrive and live. And then when they left, they prepared the house for the next family. 
So that was her ministry and that was her involvement there. Um, I was involved in instructor pilot. I had a lovely seat looking through the hangar out over the river in Lake Victoria. I even had this amazing coffee machine about 10 meters from my desk. <laughs> and that's pilot fuel, guys. <laughs> and it was good quality coffee. So life was really good. I mean, the rain was getting better. She was involved in ministry. We were involved in a lovely church, a lovely home cell. Life was good. And then in about November 2021, this internal email crawled across my desk, and it said, <clears throat> there are no more full-time pilots in Tanzania. Uh, we need a full-time pilot, and we need someone who can be ops director. And I went, not for me. Right-click delete. Anyways, it wasn't long <laughs> before the same email came back across my desk and I looked at the ops director bit and I said, that's definitely not me. I've intentionally kept a low profile. I don't want any responsibility. It's not for me. Right click, double delete, just to make sure we got rid of it properly. And then it came again and it came again. So finally I went to Lorraine. I said, lovey, I do believe we have got a Samuel moment taking place here. <laughs> we need to pray about this. So we prayed about it, wrote a few emails, spoke to some people, got some other family members involved with praying for us. And the nuts and bolts of it was in May last year, I moved down to Arusha, which is the northern part of Tanzania, and took up the role of ops director and senior pilot as a full-time pilot on the Tanzanian program. Um, God doesn't let you go once he's got your number, just, just putting it out there. <laughs> Now, because um, I'm, well, one of, my, one of my roles there is not just the ops director bit and the flying bit, but also getting the new pilot up to speed. We had a new guy called Peter just joined us from Finland, him and his wife, Pivey, lovely young family, and I had to get him up to speed and get him flying. We have, we have, a, we have a kind of a, um, I don't know what they call it, uh, what's a routine or a ceremony in flying, that if a guy reaches a milestone, you cover him in a bucket of water, and we're about to dunk Peter in some ice-cold water. <laughs> Jamie's wife, Pivey, came to said, Mark, Mark, Peter doesn't like wearing wet clothes. Can, can I please bring a dry shirt for him? <laughs> Pivey be my guest. So Peter was about to get dunked with water, his first solo operation. Because of logistics and no accommodation available, uh, Lorraine was only able to move across in August last year. So I was commuting backwards and forwards, and we put everything into that aircraft there. That's a MAF Cessna Caravan, 14-seater, everything. Our dogs, our cats, our furniture. No, not our furniture. Our bedding, our clothing, our cutlery, our crockery, our leftover bag of muesli and tea bags, the whole lot into the aircraft. And I only lost my wheelbarrow. There was just no space on my wheelbarrow. I'm gutted. <laughs> anyway, so we moved across, and uh, we set up home there, and we have got involved with the church again. Lorraine's also got involved with some cool ministries. Uh, the Maternity, uh, Maternity Africa is a medical outreach set up by a Christian doctor who specializes in fistula surgery. Are there any doctors and nurses here? You know about fistula surgery, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a condition that women get with childbirth, which is prolonged, uncomfortable, the internal damage is done. But this happens very often out in the rural areas in Tanzania where there is no assistance for childbirth. Childbirth goes wrong in Cape Town, you whisk them off to a hospital, they get help, there's nothing like that. And so they end up leaking feces, leaking urine, just really, they become an outcast in their own communities. No one wants to have anything to do with them. And life gets hard for those women. They often lose their baby as a result of it. But with the surgery that is done, lives are radically changed. And these women can be integrated back into their society and back into their communities again. So Lorraine got involved helping there in an admin role, loved it very much. She also got involved with the plaster house, or she's getting involved with the plaster house. This is a place uh, that caters towards children with correctable disabilities. So maybe clubfoot, 
uh, maybe cleft palate, and these children are cared for and loved and nurtured, and corrective surgery is done, and they're sent back home again afterwards. So she filled in her application forms, a volunteer form, so she become a full-time volunteer. So we'll see where this leads when we get back, uh, back home to Arusha next month. Um, let's get, uh, whoops, sorry. That's a very common scene. So we don't just use the aircraft for flying, we also use them as a place where Sunday school happens. And if you look very, very carefully, you can even see the dog. Look at the right button here. There's a dog. We have the dogs kind of laying under the aircraft in the shade. You know, so pre-flight, you kind of got to look under the aircraft to make sure the pooch has gone his way. Um, but that's a very common sign. So we have, we have the evangelism taking place in the bush. We have the medical stuff taking place in the bush. And then we have the dog and the kids coming for Sunday school on the, air, on the ramp. So there's a Swahili word called safari. And safari is a word that means journey or to travel, right? And so we do these safaris. We fly out, we do ministry, and we fly back again. So our first safari we fly to is a place called Malambo. Um, and uh, we've been partnering with a Maasai pastor called Pastor Elisha for about 40 years. And Pastor Elisha has a passion for sharing the gospel with his people. And Maf has partnered with him and flown him and his people at no charge for 40 years. And it's been incredible. Uh, so I go out on a Monday, I pick up the Poe evangelists, and I take them all to these tiny little villages up in the mountains, some dodgy little airstrips, drop him off. We leave them there for the week, and we go back and fetch him again on the Friday. And we just hear what happens. And we got great news about a month ago. Uh, and if, uh, a witch doctor in one of the villages called Lemago uh, gave his life to the Lord due to the work of these evangelists. Now, when we go back next month, I was hoping to take a week's leave, but that's not going to happen anymore because I've been told that on Tuesday after we get back, I've got to fly the bishop from Arusha, pick up Pastor Elisha, and this witch doctor is going to be baptized as a believer in Limago. Isn't that exciting? I mean, that's like goosebump stuff, eh? Yeah. <coughs> so this is what God is at work doing in Malambo. Uh, Lesser Hawaii is a purely medical safari, so I fly down to Sami, pick up a small medical team, hop him across to Lesser Hawaii, and we spend the day on the ground. Why the hop? Well, it's about a two and a half hour drive in the dry season. In the rainy season, you can't access the village. It takes nine minutes to fly there. And we get there, the medical team spend the whole day on the ground, seeing the people, and I fly them home in the evening. The other place we go to is Hydem Hospital. We've been partnering there for many years, and I'll fly there on a Monday morning or Monday afternoon. And Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'll be flying medical teams from the hospital out to different villages, drop them in off, scattering them around, picking them up and bringing them back again. And that is the work we do there. Now, one of the nurses there became a Christian because of math pilots. So we asked her her story. I said, how did this happen? She said, well, I was watching you guys, she says. I wasn't a Christian. I was a pagan. I was watching you guys. She said, I used to see you guys are always happy, always smiling, used to pray about stuff that we used to worry about. If a snake fell from a tree, which is a bad omen in our culture, you'd kind of kick it away and just laugh about it and carry on praying. We're waiting for, like, you know, the gods to kill you sort of thing. Didn't worry you. She said, I, I thought you guys have got something which we don't have. So she went and got herself a Bible, and she became a believer as a result of that. That was a wake-up call to me. People are watching us as believers all the time and we're not even aware of it and because of the way these my predecessors from many years ago were conducting themselves this lady became a believer simply by observing how these guys lived out their christian faith okay right the next place we go to is kilimatindi medical safari 
and evangelistic outreach. Because there's a lady in, in Dodoma, where we're based from, Mama Kabenga, she said, hang on a moment, you guys can't just fly medical teams, I want to fly evangelists with you as well. So we said, sweet, let's do that. So in the morning, I fly the medical team out, go back and pick up the evangelists, and we spend the day at the village. In the evening, we do a shuttle service, fly them home again, and we do the same on Wednesday, and we do the same on Thursday, and then Friday, I fly back home from Dodoma, back to Arusha. Now, if you're ever in Dodoma, it's a capital city of, Darisal, of Tanzania, there is an Italian place there, owned by an Italian. He makes the most amazing calzoni and genuine tiramisu. I'm just putting it out there in case you find yourself out there, okay? Just something to look forward to. Anyway, moving on from there, the important stuff. Out to the west part of the country, we have um, a lot of outreach and evangelistic work we want to become involved in, uh, and we just need more aircraft, we need more pilots. Uh, so there's that stuff. And out to the south of the country as well, uh, doctors come to us and say, listen, he says, I've got so many people that need cataract operations. I need you to bring the big aircraft so I can put all the equipment and all my medical team and we can fly around doing cataract operations. So we are busy negotiating with him how that's going to look. And we're also busy negotiating with MAF to get another aircraft on the program. So yeah, those are all exciting things that are going to happen. Typical scene there. Uh, that's where all the people meet under the tree. That's clinic that right there. Okay, mothers gather together. Uh, there's the guy recording all the data from the babies. Uh, we hang the babies on a scale in little hammocks that the mummies make. There's the scale there. And then they go and see somebody for their inoculations, their vaccinations. And then off to one side, there's a little reed enclosure where the mummies can be examined in a little bit of privacy. So if it gets hot, we get hot. If it rains, we get wet. But that is clinic at Le Sirua, And that's a very, very typical scene. Um, Okay, so we praise the Lord that we've now got two full-time pilots on the program, and we've got two aircraft, and there's more ministry opportunities. These are exciting days, guys. So please pray that the right people join the program. There are a couple of pilots who already said we want to come, so we're busy going through that process. So it's exciting stuff that the program has now got growth potential. And we just pray for the safety, please, of the pilots right now. now Peter's on his own, young guy, on his own in the country. We're in daily communication I've had one or two relief guys come from other programs to assist with the more difficult airstrips. But play for Peter. Pray for Peter, please. Um, because it's rainy season now and there's lots of challenges that go with it. And that's another whole talk all on its own. So just please pray for Peter and next month pray for Peter and Martin as they do this. And for us, uh, just pray for our family back home. We're so glad to spend time with them. I was in my groove the other day. I was busy building Lego trains with my grandson. <laughs> That was so much fun. Uh, Lorraine says, I was probably having more fun than Nicholas was, but hey, that's just by the point there. <laughs> so that's great. Um, and we just praise the Lord for this opportunity to serve him in Tanzania. It's incredibly rewarding. We're really enjoying being there, and we're just loving the opportunities God's given us to serve. So in closing, Lorraine will just put some stuff out the back. Hey, lovey? Yeah? So if you want to get to our newsletter, just put your name down there. We'll nip across shortly to go have some coffee on the other side. We can meet there. If you want to hear it all again... Tonight at the youth service, I will be here and we'll expand on this a bit more. Okay, so just, just putting it out there. I think at this moment, before I just share God's word, any questions that you want to ask? Because, yeah, no questions or is this information overload right now? Yeah. Ah, the pilot who was arrested. He has been released. Uh, that's a young guy from Mozambican program. He has been released along with the two South Africans, and they're under house arrest in Maputo right now. So, yeah. 
Um, sure, that's a long story. I think there's a lot of miscommunication and misunderstanding when the arrest took place, because him and the South Africans have been doing this for the longest time, uh, flying vitamins and mineral, uh, minerals, vitamins and medicines and, and assistance up to the pharmacy, up to the uh, uh, orphanage up in northern Mozambique. So I, I think someone just had an axe to grind. Um, yeah, but yeah, this, this wasn't the first time they've done it. The South Africans have been doing this for a while, so they've been bringing stuff over the border. It's all completely legitimate. I just think there was some miscommunication. But the point is, because of prayer, he's been released, and the South Africans are under house arrest. So just pray that this whole thing will kind of you know, resolve. Yeah. But thank you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so this morning, um, I'm going to be just basically sharing a testimony. But I want to share a testimony, not about myself. I want to share a testimony about the Lord, about his consistency about his reliability, about his trustworthiness, and about the fact that he is God and true to his word. We have been through an incredibly, incredibly um, uh, rough time as a country in the last few years. COVID, we've all known someone or lost someone in our family, and we've gone, Lord, the order that we knew three years ago seems to have been turned on its head. What is happening? Our economy is not doing too well. Stuff is happening. But I want to share your testimony about a God who is good, a God who is awesome, a God who, who, who can be depended upon utterly and reliability, and reliably, sorry. Uh, so back in the day, uh, Lorraine and I had committed ourselves to serving the Lord full time, and the commitment we'd made individually was anywhere, anytime, any cost. And we had no idea what that was going to look like. We were young. We were naive. I thought she was cute and beautiful. For a fit of absent-mindedness, she thought I was handsome. So we decided to get married and make a life of it together. And we, incidentally, we met under a dining room table at a Bible college function. Again, you'll hear more about that tonight if you want to. And we just set upon blithely following the Lord. Um, and uh, we just believed that God was calling us to serve him full time. And so we set off on this, on this journey. And, and it started when I proposed to her on the mountains behind uh, Rhodes Memorial. We were sitting on this hillside, and I said to this cute chickie, I said to her, listen, I said, do you see the Hottentots Holland Mountains in the distance? Yeah, I see them. Our eyesight was very good back then, both of us. Okay, we could see the mountain. <laughs> and I said to her, lovey, God's called me to go beyond those mountains, and I don't know where he's called me to go. I don't know what he's got for me. I don't know what he wants me to do. I can't promise you anything. You know, most guys, when you propose to your wife, you say, I'll promise you a house and a home and five happy kids. I couldn't promise any of that. All I could just say was, I'm promising you that I'm going to try and follow God to the best of my ability. Will you marry me? <laughs> and the fit of absent mind is this cute girl said, yes, I will. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how we started our married life. Um, just trust in the Lord that he would show us where we're going to go, what we're going to do. I think one of the main verses in our life then was that one in Proverbs, and trust in the Lord with all your heart, and all your ways acknowledge him, and do not lean on your own understanding. And so <clears throat> we're not about to get married. We'd just gotten married. Lorraine, Lorraine was busy finishing off her studies, and I was running a car wash. And I remember standing in that car wash one day with jeans that were torn. This was before torn jeans were, were fashionable, okay? I was wearing torn jeans. My felt skin were rotting. There were no cars because it was a dismal rainy day and the rain was pouring down outside. And I thought about all my mates who'd come through my age with their new cars and their three-piece suits because back in the day that was a thing. And their new house they just bought in Tableview, wherever it was. And I'm thinking, Lord, Keiko Lake Ekna, 
Uh, rotting jeans, rotting shoes, no future, no money. Lord, I think you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to step out of this promise I made you and I'll go earn some money, put it in the bank, and then I'll come back. And I remember this conversation I had with the Lord, and he said, do you trust me to supply your need? And I said, yes, Lord, I do. But you see, he said, no, 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 no. There's no but in this conversation. Do you trust me to care for you or not? And there was a long moment of silence in the car wash. <laughs> and I said, Lord, yes, uh, I trust you. I trust you to supply our need. And I didn't even have my fingers crossed behind my back. I really, really meant it. And um, at that moment, at that moment, things started changing. When the Lord realized that I committed my life to trusting him and I was really going to do my best to trust him no matter what. We had no idea what the future looked like. Um, we got married on 450 rand back in 1983. We spent 250 of that on the rent of our fully furnished flat. <laughs> and we lived on 200 rand a month. You, know? you tell teenagers this today, they go, you must be joking. I earned that in tips on one night at Spur. <laughs> but this is how we started our life. And since that day, I have to say right now, every night we've had a place to sleep. Every day we've had some food to eat. Every place, every day we've had clothes to wear. Every day we've had medical care. Our children have been educated. God has taken care of our needs. Not because of me, not because of my wife, but because he is incredibly faithful. And when we trust him and depend upon him, his faithfulness comes through and shines through. So we were working at, at, at George at Carmel Guest Farm, and we really, I just felt the Lord was saying, you need to get involved with MAF. But we had tried every single way to get our pilot's license, and it was not working. Um, and we decided, okay, this is not going to happen. We're going to go into missions as, as, as farmers, because I'd done eight years, seven years farming, and I was going to go to Elsenburg, get my agricultural diploma, and that's what we're going to do. Okay. <clears throat> About six weeks before we left George, I got the chance to go flying. Somebody gave me a little flip in an aircraft around the George area, and I'm sitting in that aircraft, and I can still see that black dashboard vibrating in the, in, the, in the sun, and I just felt the Lord saying to me, this is what I created you to do, and this is what you will do for me one day, but you've got to trust me for the timing. Um, and it was like, Lord, this is, this is really hard. You know, I, I thought we were going to go into farming, Lord. This is like, you know, I'm getting excited about being a farmer for Jesus, and now you're making me this other promise. But again, it was, you've got to trust me for my timing, and you've got to trust me to make it happen. And that was really, really hard. So we went to Cape Town, not too sure how this was all going to work out. We tried every avenue, um, and then we worked at a children's home for a while, and then we ended up going to work at Simonsburg Christian Centre. And while we were there, the Lord opened the first door and enabled me to get my private pilot's licence. Um, uh, back then it was, uh, well, just to say, back up, working at the children's home, we had one of these humbling experiences. Um, I said to Lorraine, Lovey, we are really financially skint right now. So we, we, you, know, you go through your sock drawer and you go to between the seats on the car where stuff falls down and under the cushions, and we couldn't gather enough coins to buy a postage stamp. <laughs> and the Lord was saying, trust me, <laughs> trust me, trust me. So we did. Um, I started flying, got my pilot's license, but it was only a private license. I needed a commercial license. So I needed, in today's money, it was about 250,000 rand in today's money to get my commercial license. And I remember going up to the prayer hut and just saying, Lord, 
something has to happen here. Because this is how old I am. These are how many hours I got. Math wants 500 hours. If I take the difference, and I'm flying an hour and a half a month, Lord, and divide that by an hour and a half, times that by 12, and add it on to my age, Lord, I'm going to be 61 before I'm able to fly for math. So you have to make this happen. And I was laying there asking the Lord for 250,000 rand, really expecting him to blitz me with a bolt of lightning. Because at that point, I believe Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, these guys can ask for 250,000, but not a scruffy little reputable, disreputable sinner like me. Nothing happened. I lived. I survived the tale. And about six weeks later, the Lord again, in an incredible way, provided the money for me to do my commercial license. Um, we didn't even see it coming. It just came out of the blue. The money was there to do the commercial license. So we joined MAF in 2001 um, and started working with Mission Aviation Fellowship in Joburg. Uh, and I am getting ahead of myself here. Here we go. Oh, delightful story. Just as delightful. God's goodness. We had to find a house in Stellenbosch. And we started looking for a house. So one day we sat down together and we went, as a family, what would be the ideal house, guys? So the kids went, oh, Dad, we want a house with a pool. I'm going, yeah, right. <laughs> and Ruth said, I want to stay next to my best friend, Amy. They lived on Skilt, built in Stellenbosch. I'm going, that's never going to happen. Lorraine said, I want a house where I've got this beautiful view over Stellenbosch or Jokosov. I don't really mind which one. So I thought, okay. And you, Dad? I said, well, I would like a house with um, an office on top and a double garage with an inspection pit. We're going like, yeah, this is really not going to happen there. And we were looking for houses and looking for houses that slipped through our fingers and everything just didn't work out. And then our friend phoned us in December now. We meant to leave at the end of December. And she said, hey, you better come and look at the house next door to us. This is our friend who lives on Skilt, built in Stellenbosch. The owner is busy kicking his tenants from hell out of the house. Come and have a look. So we went to look at the house. <clears throat> the house had a swimming pool in the back garden. It had uh, a view over Jonkersuk and Stellenbosch. It had an office on top. It had an inspection pit underneath. It was right next door to Ruth's best friend, Amy. <laughs> Remember my conversation in the car wash with God? <laughs> um, and Lord was just showing us in that moment, I know what you need, and I'm just proving to you in abundant way that I can supply your needs. As ludicrous as you might think they are, these are your wants, not your needs, but I'm supplying these needs for you. So we moved into the house. Well, actually, they're about to move into the house. And that morning in our devotions, we had a devotion, and the commentary said, there comes a time in the path the Lord has laid out for you where it seems so apparent and then suddenly utter darkness. And you've either got to step into the darkness and trust God has got a path there, or you have to learn to trust him. I mean, oh, that's cool. We'll keep that for a tough day. An hour later, Lorraine was dropping the kids off at school. <laughs> I get a phone call from this organization that we're going to sponsor us. They're saying, hey, listen, you know, we promise to support you every month, about 30000 a month. There's none of that anymore. It's all gone. Uh, we can't do that anymore. We'll pay for your training, but we're not going to give you any money towards your living expenses. You're on your own. Are you still in? So Lorraine and I went and had a cup of coffee, and we prayed that morning, and we just felt the Lord saying, are oh, you going to trust me? So I signed the contract on that house for a year, thinking I have no idea how I'm going to manage to make this. Every month our rent was paid. Every day we had food on the table. Every day we had clothes to wear. Every day the kids' school fees were paid. Utilities were paid. The telephone was paid. There was fuel in the tanks of the car. God's provision. A lot of this, I don't know how it happened. I know it happened. Some of it I can tell you stories about. But God, once again 
was proving himself incredibly faithful because he said, trust me and I will supply your need. Uh, again, there's huge stories about that, but we, we, want to, we need to move on. However, in that time, God did say to us, I only want you to tell me, says the Lord, about your needs. No one else, just me. And it was really hard because someone would say, hey, Mark, how are you guys doing? Can I help you? And I'm going, no, the Lord's taking care of us. You know, and somebody comes up to you, you know, they've got deep pockets and a fat checkbook. Hey, is there any way we can help you? And I'm going, no, it's cool, man. The Lord's taking care of our needs. And we go to the Lord and say, Lord, we need to pay school fees tomorrow. We need to do this. We need to do that. And every time the Lord provided our needs by only talking to him and not looking to others. So that was a really challenging thing we had to go through. My daughter went horse riding. My son played tennis and cricket. The kids had a good life because God supplied all those needs in the most amazing ways. And you think, horse riding, whoa, that's expensive. Well, let me tell you how God organized that. She discovered at school a friend of her parents owned a little campsite thing, and they had two horses there. And Ashley said, Ruth, come riding anytime you want. <laughs> so Ruth went riding with Ashley anytime she wanted on someone else's pony. She entered competitions. She entered dressage. She entered jumping competitions. And in fact, one day, Ruth and Ashley won a first and a second on the same horse. So the two of them are riding around, double donkey on the horse, getting their prizes. <laughs> this is how God supplied the needs and the wishes of even our kids in this time of learning to trust him. Anyway, so we moved to Johannesburg to start with the Lord, and we lived up there for, from 2001 to 2017. And in that time, again, God proved himself incredibly trustworthy and supplied our needs. I mean, early on we were there. We went to a medical practice. We had to do something. I can't remember what it was. And a doctor listened to our story. He said, hey, he said, I used to be a missionary. He said, if you come and see me, I won't charge you for consults. And for 17 years, we didn't pay a doctor's bill. For it. That is God's provision. Nothing other. That is God's provision. And I think the picture I'm trying to draw and show you here is that we can't predict how God will supply our needs because God is the most incredibly infinite, creative, resourceful God. I mean, he says to us in his word, my thoughts are above your thoughts, my ways are above your ways. God is resourceful and creative in ways we cannot understand. We've just got to learn to trust him. And often the answer doesn't come in the way that we think it should come. I'm thinking, I need to be able to afford to buy a medical aid. That's what I need to afford, because that's the way it's done. God goes, no, you got it all wrong, my boy. I'm going to do it in a completely different way. And I think sometimes we don't see God's answer and blessing in our life because we're so focused on how we think he needs to answer us. We don't see what God does in our life sometimes. And I'm guilty of that as the next person. Um, Yes, I can go on and on and on, how God's provided in so many ways. One last story, and then we're going to close off. In about 2008 or 9, I think it was, I was on my, uh, David phoned me at work. He said, Dad, he said, my car has just been stolen. Oh, my goodness. We don't need this right now. Okay, uh, I'll come and fetch you. So I drove off, fetched him, got him back home again. We sorted everything out. The very next morning, I'm on my way to work, sitting in the traffic light, Looking at the traffic, I look up in my mirror and I see this red Toyota Corolla coming at incredibly high speed. And I just know what's going to happen next. <clears throat> Slams me into the car in front of me. Um, car's wrecked. I'm leaning on the seat, kicking the doors open, trying to get out of the car. I'll be two cars down in 24 hours. This is pretty good going right now. <laughs> We've only got one old mini we're borrowing from someone to keep us going. <laughs> and we think, Lord, this is a disaster. How are we ever going to recover from this? 
I get him put in touch with a road accident fund lawyer, and he says, oh, he said, you're a pilot. He said, we're going to make money out of this. I'm going, I've got no injuries. I had an x-ray. It's only soft tissue. I'm absolutely fine. He says, doesn't matter. Four years later, the road accident fund paid out. We were able to get both our children married off quite happily. We'd, we weren't trying to get them married off, but you know what I mean. <laughs> we had money to marry them off. Um, that even sounds wrong as well. <laughs> we were able to pay for Ruth's university studies because an investment I'd made for her studies hadn't worked out as well as it should have. We were able to pay the remainder of the money on Lorraine's car that we bought to replace her car. We had loads of fun tithing that money. But you see how God provided in the midst of what seemed to be disaster, two cars down in 24 hours, out of that, the Lord brought incredible blessing and provision. And sometimes we just focus on the disaster and we focus on the bad. We think right now we've gone through COVID. It's been a hellish time. We've lost work. We've lost homes. We've lost family. But we don't know what God can bring out of this in our lives. And we have to trust him that he's going to do this. And sometimes trusting is so incredibly hard. It really is hard. I don't know about you, but I struggle with it. Because, Lord, I've got a pain in my sawdust. I want to sort it out now. Lord, I have this financial need. I need it sorted out now. And the Lord's going, no, my child. I've got better plans for you out of that. Yeah, my knee was so sore. And it's like really sore. And I'm, Lord, I really make my knee better, please. I don't want to go through surgery. I went through surgery. Surgery was hell. It was absolute hell. I was crying with pain. I was thinking, Lord, why did you allow that? But over the years, I've been able to speak to so many other people and go, guys, hang on. Just hang on. You know, it's sore now, but the sunshine's coming. You get a quality of life back. And I say, Lord, thank you that I could go through that, that I can use this as part of ministry to encourage other people. And sometimes the Lord allows us to go through these tough days and these tough times that we can use this in ministry and serving other people. So, other thing, yeah, so let's just move along then. The other thing the Lord challenged us deeply on was tithing. And Lorraine's, Lorraine's been really good at this. You know, she's Scottish. She's got Scottish ancestry. So she's kept me on the straight and narrow. I'm the Italian. You know, I'm generous. I'll spend money on anybody. And Lorraine's going, we've got to keep the budget going. I think that's why the Lord brought us together, you see. Because when I met her on student council, there was this cute brunette who was smart, organized. And I thought, I've got to marry her. <laughs> After my confession and my belief in Christ, that was the next best decision I ever made in my entire life. But Lorraine has been very strict about tithing, and I, she really challenged me to be strict about my tithing. And tithing, we know, is, is, is a really hard thing, because our math says, I need 10, I've got 6, so I need to keep saving until I've got the other 4. I mean, that's how maths work, doesn't it? The Lord says, no, cool, you've got 10, you need 10, you've got 6, so give me some of the 6, and then you will have 10. <laughs> it makes no sense, but it works. <laughs> some or other, it works. And we don't know how it works. But God is, again, an incredibly resourceful God. And we don't necessarily get the four in the way we expect to get the four. I was looking for a medical aid, and the Lord just sends free medical care. See how Lord, the Lord does it. And when we're faithful in the small things, he's faithful in the big things, and he takes care of us. And also, he, he changes the way we see things and we see life. I remember when I was younger, the bigger the house, the bigger the garden, the bigger the cars, the happier I knew I was going to be. It's not true anymore. The Lord has helped us see that bigger, better, brighter isn't better. Bigger, better, brighter doesn't mean happiness. But a deeper, closer walk with him means true happiness and true contentment and true satisfaction. And we've seen this with our kids. They've paid exorbitant money in our eyes to buy this tiny little house in Stellenbosch. They are as happy as a dog with five tails. 
This is home. They're there. You can feel the love of God in their house. And they realize it's where home is. That's where contentment is. And God is the center of their lives and center of their ministry and center of their work. They don't want bigger, better, brighter. And my son has modeled to me what contentment with what we've got means. I just thank the Lord for that boy. So in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. So, in closing, where do you stand with the Lord? What is your relationship with him? Do you really trust him to supply all your needs in your life? My life is going to continue. I'm in three score and ten. Technically speaking, I've got seven left, but you know, my family seems to live forever and ever. My dad's 88. So I've probably got a good few more years left. And am I trusting God? And I'm turning 63. I'm closing on retirement. And I've been having those questions with the Lord. Lord, what's going to happen next? What am I going to do when I retire? How am I going to put food on the table? And God goes, oh my goodness, my child. For 40 years I've fed and watered you, and now you're questioning whether I'll continue to care for me. <laughs> Yes, I mean, having those conversations with the Lord, that he will care for us, he'll provide for us, he will supply our needs. We don't get to 65 and he kicks us in the gutter and says, thanks for the service, you're out of here, let's find the next one to go with. When the Lord promised to care for us and walk with us our whole lives, he means our whole lives. Until the day we move from here into eternity. I was here at Sue, um, Sue Watson's uh, memorial service the other day. I realized that Sue... All that stuff that she's been going through is now gone. Her sickness, her illness, her health. And she's having an amazing time with the Lord right now. Just really enjoying that. It's going to happen to all of us. No one gets off the rock alive. But the question is, how are we going to live out our life while we're here? Are we going to be struggling and fighting and pain? Or are we going to just trust the Lord that he knows our needs? He will care for us, even to our old age. Let's just pray. Father, you are the most amazing God. Your word tells us time and time and time again that you will care for us, that you love us. You know the number of hairs on our head, Lord. Sometimes it gets easier as we get bolder, but the point is you know the hairs on our head, Father. You know everything there is to know about us, and you care for us and you love us. And Father, as we, as we sometimes as humans, we struggle, Lord, because we see the bank account getting empty, we see the food getting less in the cupboard, we see our health failing, and we go, Lord, help. But Lord, we know that you know and that you will care for us, that you are faithful. And Father, I pray for anyone here this morning, and I'm sure there are many folk here who are just struggling right now with so many stuff, Lord. Maybe they've got issues with their kids, maybe they've got issues with their parents, maybe they've got issues with themselves, with life. And Father, this morning, I ask you, Holy Spirit, just to, to, to come into their lives and to their hearts and encourage them that you love them, you know about their difficulties, and you are walking there with them through these hard times. And that the answer will come in a way they don't expect, because you are the creative God. You are the most extraordinary, resourceful God, and that you are able to supply our needs in ways that we just can't even begin to comprehend. Because you are God, and we praise you for that and thank you for that. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you for the salvation that we have in you. And thank you that we can trust you with our lives, even to the last day and the last breath we breathe. In your name we pray this, Jesus. Amen.